The first cell phone was demonstrated in 1973 by Martin Cooper. You know what wasn't demonstrated? Shared plans. Over 50 years later, you can save on one line thanks to Visible. When you switch to Visible, the wireless company that makes wireless visible, you can get a one-line plan with unlimited 5G data powered by Verizon for just 25 bucks a month, taxes and fees included. No hidden fees. No, really. You can look around for them. They're not there. Switch now at Visible.com. Save on wireless without the hassle. Switch to Visible today and save at Visible.com. Monthly rate on the Visible plan for data management practices and additional terms. Visit Visible.com. Contained herein are the heresies of Radolf Buntwine, erstwhile monk-turned-traveling medical investigator. Join me as I uncover the blasphemous truth of a plague-ridden world, that ours is not a loving God, and we are not its favored children. The Heresies of Radolf Buntwine, coming January 2nd, wherever podcasts are available. Beyond, and hello everyone, my name is Jonathan Dornbush, and this is Podcast Beyond, episode 693 of IGN's weekly PlayStation show, where, of course, each and every week we endeavor to be just as long as the Snyder Cut. Will it happen again? (laughs) You'll have to sit through and find out. But of course, uh, for these next four hours, or really just 50 minutes, uh, I'm joined by Brian Altano. I would do a four-hour podcast with you boys. That's Oh, me too. No no lie. I would do it. (laughs) I, I, it's, it's the highest honor you could give us. I appreciate it. Uh, we're also joined this week by Mitchell Saltzman. Hi, and I hope this doesn't break any hearts, but as much as I love you guys, I would not do a four hour. <laughs> I've got stuff to do. <laughs> well, you know what? This cut, we'll, we'll just focus on different characters. We'll introduce a bunch of new ones. That'll be a lot of closure and, yeah. you know, a lot of open-endedness. We can put you in at the very end. You can be like a post-credit stinger. Perfect. Perfect. That's exactly yeah. where I want to be. Yeah. The the director's <laughs> cut of 693 will have the same plot, but a very different way it gets there. But uh, we'll we'll give you that episode in another 100 or 200 episodes. Anyway, of course, though, uh, we do actually have quite a bit to talk about this week, uh, as, of course, is usual for PlayStation. Most of the PlayStation news broke after we recorded Beyond last week. So we'll be doing a bit of catch up on things like some of the free games you can be looking forward to on PlayStation, whether or not you have PlayStation Plus, uh, the news of Sony acquiring Evo and a few other things. But the story I wanted to start off with this week is a report from The Gamer. Uh, This is not a singular human being that we refer to as The Gamer. This is, in fact, an outlet. Uh, The Gamer has a report out uh, that said sources uh, close to them have Uh, let them know that apparently and allegedly the uh, PlayStation stores, the digital storefronts for the PS3, the PlayStation Vita and the PSP will be closing later this year. Uh, According to the report, allegedly they'll be closing sometime in July and an announcement about this stuff will be happening later this month. Uh, We, of course, reached out to Sony, as did the gamer and other outlets, and we haven't gotten a comment back yet as of the time we're recording this. If there's been any updates, obviously go check out IGN. We'll have any future reporting on this. But uh, I want to start off sort of looking at this decision. Obviously, you know, we've been focused a lot on the PS4 and the PS5 recently because that's where all the games are coming out. Uh, But there are a lot of people who still use PS3s or the older handhelds because those are not backward compatible on PS5 as opposed to on the Xbox side where, you know, they have... Uh, backward compatibility to some degree all the way back to the original Xbox PlayStation right now just has 
PS4 backward compatibility on PS5. And there was a lot of hope and anticipation, I think it's safe to say, leading up to the PS5's launch that there would be more than just the PS4, but there wasn't. Um, of course, there are things like PS Now that I want to point out, point out where there are PS2 and PS3 games in a limited you know, amount of that library available. But uh, this represents, I think, a pretty large and pretty beloved era of PlayStation games that potentially you will not be able to buy on your own again without looking toward resellers of physical copy copies that may still be out there. Um, it it puts the the sort of libraries of these consoles in particular in strange places. And of course, uh, we don't have confirmation. But if you own any of these systems, my best recommendation, if you're worried about preserving your ability to play those games is go probably download and buy them right now before it's too late. Um, but I, I wanted to sort of open up the floor and Brian, I'll start with you just to kind of get your thoughts of like, does one does a move like this shock you? Um, and to, from PlayStation, especially the PlayStation that we have right now. And two, what do you think they could do? Um, like, like, how do you view positive and what do you think they could do to fix it if you see it as negative? Um, well, I have a lot to say about this and I don't I, I, I won't I, I will do my best not to hog the air on it. But I will say, first and foremost, this sucks. It's not good. I don't like it. I don't like the fact that uh, this basically reminds us constantly that the all digital future that we're heading towards that I've embraced in many ways uh, is regularly a walled garden. And I don't think that's entirely fair. It's bizarre to me for this to trickle out after a year of people safely playing games at home more than ever, uh, people downloading games more than ever. Um, this is also Sony didn't really launch their brand new console with a, like a, a sort of ton of of lineage and history to access a lot of their old games. Whereas like, I, I feel like that's something that, you know, you can do more on steam. You can do more on, on Xbox and stuff like that. This, this, this is more in line with what I see covering the Nintendo side of things all the time, which is they create these ecosystems. They sell a ton of games in them. They're immensely popular. And then they shut them down. Um, I won't say that like the Vita is immensely popular, but it is interesting that all of these would be hypothetically grouped in at the exact same time, because these are sort of distinct, you know, pillars of of Sony's history here. Um, and as somebody who like really believes in the preservation of, of, of video games and video game history, this sucks, too. Like, I, I think that that players should have an ability to access older titles. I think that this leads to piracy. I think it leads to uh, sort of it, it leads to like a loss of history for people not being able to access games that are, are important parts of the lineage to create the world of video games that we're in right now. Um, that said, I understand why from a business perspective they do this. I just wish that every time a company did this, they also said, hey, we're also you know, we're closing this window, but we're opening this door and you can now access this via this, this and this. Um, but unfortunately, I, I don't see that being the case because I, I think they know that they can sell you a bunch of stuff again instead. And that's kind of a bummer. Yeah, as, as you said, Mitchell, I want to get your thoughts in just a second. But yeah, as you said, um, I I think it is worth at least mentioning, not that we ha are in agreement necessarily, but I do think especially with the Sony that we have seen these days, I, I a lot of we talked about it a lot leading up to the PS5. You know, Microsoft's push for backward compatibility, I think, in part, probably incited them to have the PS4 backward compatible on PS5 to begin with. Um, and as Imran Khan from over at uh, Fanbyte had pointed out uh, back in 2017, Jim Ryan, while he was giving time, granted, this is a few years ago, 
basically said he didn't really see the the reason to care about older games. The the quote from Time was that um, when we've dabbled with backward compatibility, I can say it is one of those features that is much requested, but not actually much used. And uh, that and I was at a Gran Turismo event recently where they had PS1, PS2, PS3 and PS4 games and the PS1 and the PS2 games. They looked ancient. Why would anybody play this? And, you know, I can immediately see from a a sales perspective how these stores are probably not generating much revenue, how they're probably more of a burden to upkeep than the, the money they're they're making PlayStation compared to the PS4 and the PS5 stores. I can see that argument. But as you were saying, there there is a bit of a responsibility as Sony is one of the three platform holders outside mm-hmm. of, you know, on, on the console side, PC notwithstanding, who created these ecosystems and functionally yeah. functionally by erasing those ecosystems, they erase a bit of a part of history. What if you had a modern next gen console with an 8K sticker on the box that could, I don't know, upscale this stuff like <laughs> it's it's not like this. You can't just be like these ugly old games are dumb and no one wants to play them. Like, I don't think that's fair. Oh, that quote makes me so mad. Yeah, yeah. right. <laughs> and granted, I, I do want to, of course, preface because, you know, it, Jim, if you're listening, uh, this was obviously something said years ago and PlayStation, yeah. at least outwardly, has been a bit more gung ho about backward compatibility for the PS5 with PS4 and whatnot. But I, I think it is fair to say that that sort of sentiment isn't that far from the idea that they get rid of these shops because, it, Brian, as you said, like the PSP and the PS3, I could understand to one point, you know, like there's a decade plus um there with the PS3 and then the the PSP was around 2011 I believe but or, or maybe a little earlier but the Vita is uh you know relatively newer uh and right. uh, I think I had the, that was the Vita year might have been 2011 I think I I may have conflated those uh forgive me but yeah the the Vita is a little bit newer I associate it most with the PS4 era and so for me they still kind of go hand in hand like there's a lot of indie games that were on PS3, PS4, and Vita. Vita was the go-to for a lot of those indies. Um, there, There is stuff like, obviously, Persona 4 Golden is now on PC, but P- Vita was the place to play it. Uh, stuff like Golden Abyss is only available there. Uh, if you're Uncharted, like, completionist and want to have that whole franchise, there are parts of not just the wider community, but Sony that are being lost by this happening. Um, and and it, it does worry me, and we can get into, like, maybe what can come from this, but Mitchell, yeah, I wanted to hear from your perspective of if this comes to pass, what is your what is your sort of take on this happening? Yeah, I mean, Brian pretty much hit the nail on the head on everything. This is a huge bummer. I think for me personally, the thing that it most affects is the fact that PlayStation 3 had the PlayStation Classics program. And so it had a huge library of PlayStation 1 games, a huge library of uh, PlayStation 2 games. And really, like, the only reason why I still have my PlayStation 3, it's sitting right here. The only reason why I still have it and haven't given it to my nephews to, uh, you know, to give them their, their first game console is because of the fact that the PS3 is the only platform that I can play a lot of older uh, PS1, PS2 games on that just aren't available on PlayStation 4, PlayStation 5. You can't find them on Steam. God Hand, for one. Uh, I know God Hand has a reputation at IGN because of its <laughs> review. I, I made a feature on In Defense of God Hand. God Hand is one of my favorite games of all time. Uh, favorite action games of all time, I should say. And the idea of that game just like disappearing, because I don't think Capcom's ever going to do anything with it. I don't think they're going to bring make a God hand remastered. Uh, The idea of that game just not existing is is kind of like 
shocking to me. Mm-hmm. Um, and beyond that, there's also like the older Re- Resident Evil games um, where, uh, you know, you want to see that growth from the Resident Evil 2 to the remake, Resident Evil 3 to the remake. And I just don't I don't honestly don't know if there's any other way you can really get those games these days unless you have an old PlayStation one and you get the discs because they're non Steam, they're non PS4, PS5. So, yeah, it's, it's a bummer. And I think there's a responsibility on PlayStation that if they're removing this store. They need to introduce a new service to to give some sort of similar function of being able to get these these games on an online service. I, yeah, and I think. Oh, go ahead. I was going to say real quick, I think what Mitchell said right there, responsibility is, I think, is the perfect word to describe the scenario. Like, that's that's a weird thing, right? It's like that's a job you don't necessarily have to do. It's like like being an uncle, right? You could just not be an uncle. Like nothing's really going to happen. You could just not, you know, that's it's not like being a dad where you're like, I have to do this job. Like, I do think it is the responsibility of PlayStation to make sure that there is a way to access part of their legacy. And it's interesting because it's like, you know, like my my kid is really into Disney Plus and she's watching a bunch of movies that I hadn't seen in like 30, 40 years. And some of them have content warnings in front of them now. Uh, but for the most part, like they remain intact based on the versions that ran theatrically ages ago. Movies don't seem to have this problem as much. There's there's obviously distribution issues. There's some things that you can only get on, uh, you know, Japanese Blu-rays and stuff like that, like, or, you know, European UMDs. Like it's a pain in the ass sometimes. Don't get me wrong. But uh, with games... I think a a big part of it is that it's really difficult to port things over because they were built specifically uh, uh, talking about stuff like the PS3 and and even the Vita, which has, you know, bizarre control inputs in a lot of ways. Like there's an uncharted game on Vita that you need to rub objects on to reveal them. And it's like that's that's that'd be hard to just kind of drag and drop on PS5. Right. But the fact that there's an uncharted game that you can't play anymore is crazy to me. It's one of the most recognizable franchises ever. It's like one of the, you know, one of the, I would say one of the most like impressive technological achievements ever made is that game. The fact that they got that game running on a handheld in the year that they did is insane (laughs) to me. And like, I think that there's a responsibility uh, to, to, to showcase that and to make that accessible to people. I think that like you can pick up a book from a hundred years ago or 50 years ago, you can download it on Kindle. You can watch almost any movie on, on Amazon or any other rental program. But with video games, this is constantly a problem where they're created in these, you know, admittedly difficult to create for systems like the PS3 was notoriously difficult to develop for. And then they just die there. And that sucks. It just sucks. I don't know how to end every one of these (laughs) rants without just saying that sucks, but it sucks. No, I I mean, I think it's fair. You know, we were I, I was thinking about it while you were talking about God Hand and other Capcom things, Mitchell, but it is, it's one of those things where even on the PlayStation side, um, the PS3 era is, you know, definitely an era where they were not in first place and they were kind of knocked on their ass after their hubris, hubris from the launch of it and had to come back. And so we saw a lot of interesting innovation, a lot of franchises that people really love, stuff like Resistance, uh, Infamous. Um, you know, obviously we have the Uncharted trilogy, but other other franchises are kind of locked to that system. Now, granted, there is something like PlayStation now that does have a bunch of PS3 games, some PS2 games streaming. I think, again, we're in that sort of situation where, like, I wish PS now was more robust and more present in the ecosystem, because obviously this is still not confirmed by Sony. But if this is in the cards, something like PS now being an answer feels like a reasonable 
way to get around it, I guess. Like if they, if they have to make this call for some arcane business reason, we'll never understand. At the very least, something like PS Now does exist and I hope can serve as a place for it. But because of how little they have served PS Now to like the mass audience, I, I don't have confidence that that's going to be the place I can go play PS3 games. Right. Um, you know, there, there is a, a decent library. I think it's a couple hundred games on there and that's that's nothing to ignore, certainly. But it, sure. it is one of those things where without a without a solution for where these games can then go permanently what happens to this era of playstation yeah i was actually thinking about jumping on ps now because you and i have talked about how it's kind of a blind spot for us and i saw a deal it's like 60 bucks for a year and they give you 15 bucks back in psn credit and i'm like oh perfect i'll i'll do that but um I think that like one of the things that we're sort of forgetting about here or maybe we're just numb to because this happens so frequently um is is the 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 idea of like ownership and purchases like outside of just the responsibility of the historical preservation aspect there's the fact that you bought a bunch of stuff that you can't access anymore or maybe like i I, when nintendo tore down some of their stores on the wii u and and the wii i believe they allowed people or they still allow people to re-download or they did until a certain date um but you couldn't buy uh credit on those stores after x date or whatever it was um and i understand that like the the sort of illusion of ownership is something that we deal with all the time in the digital you know ecosystems now but the fact that people bought 60 or 50 dollar games that they just straight up can't access anymore because they didn't buy them on disc i mean that's part of that's part of the you know the mass hysteria of us moving away from uh, a physical games to something digital, like what we gain in convenience, we lose in ownership over time. But I do think there's something to be said there too. Like uh, I, I think PS now is a good solution for it. But if, again, you look at something like steam, it's like, if you purchased those games like 15 years ago, you still have those games, right? They're still there. You might need to like mess with your own settings on your computer to like, or plug in an extremely old computer and access your account from there. Um, or, you know, run some weird nineties DOS emulation garbage, but you can do it. Whereas this is just not an option anymore. And like, I'm not, I'm not crazy about that. It sucks. It just sucks. <laughs> and, and remind me, cause it's been a long time since I've tried using PlayStation. Now I think I heard this, but can you download the games on PlayStation now and play them without streaming them? Or there are certain games that you can. Yeah. Yes. I a think lot of they, games. Okay. Yeah. Is I think it, it's mostly PS2 and PS4. I think for some reason the PS3 era, mm-hmm. at least when they uh, announced the download feature, you couldn't, I'll do a quick check, but um, yeah, I rem- that was, that was the real reason why I jumped off of PlayStation now, because, you know, I tried playing Ninja Gaiden three or something on it. And it was just the, it was not responsive enough to play a game like that. So it really felt like a service. If I was just streaming it, that would only work for, for certain games where those, those kinds of Twitch reflexes aren't really, you know, super, super required. Yeah, absolutely. And yeah, it's, um, it, it's one of those things where again, we only have part of the story if this becomes true and very much possibly who knows, like we we've been talking about PS now enough on the show and I think there's enough attention on it that maybe Sony is thinking about how PS now can be a, a legacy platform because at the end of the day, it doesn't seem like they're going to just allow you to download PS one, PS two and PS three games on the PlayStation store on PS five. Like as Mitchell, you were saying like the PlayStation classics essentially that you could do on PS three, um, mm-hmm. which, which was great. Like I, I had all my old PS one games on there because I, I rebought the crash games and the Spyro games before those got remade um, and, and a bunch of other stuff to be able to have it on the PS three. And it's, 
it's downloaded on a PS3 in my closet that I was thinking about getting rid of. But now I'm like, maybe I should keep that thing. Mm-hmm. No, <laughs> um, I was just like poking around on the <clears throat> PlayStation online store just now just to sort of refresh myself about like it's it's really like a bunch of stuff that if it, if you lived on PS4, you're alive today on on PS4 and PS5 digitally. But th- there are eras before that that just don't really exist anymore. And Mitchell, I think you bring up a really good point, And you too, Dorno, about just the PS3 era was not just about the PS3 era. It was about maintaining a legacy from the PS1 and the PS2 to a certain degree, too. I mean, the there was a skew of the PS3 that literally launched with backwards compatibility, and then they kind of sunsetted it. Uh, and that's like the rarest PS3, right? Like the one that people are like, are it's the most sought after. And I think that like there's an important... Like there's an important part of that that I think is 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 this should be maintained here. Um, even like look at like it's why why is it so scattershot to play like Metal Gear games? You know like why is that why is that such a pain in the ass? That shouldn't be a pain in the ass. Like they, just let people play old school Metal Gear games on PS5. But like I, I I do think that part of the onus is on you know Konami and Capcom and any other third party that were was at the table at the time because like. They need to figure out a way to modernize access to their legacy and their classics as well. Um, but I, I I feel like it's it's hard to get everybody on the same page there because you have Sony going, oh, here's we had storefronts that were that were closing down and they're digital. And then you have individual companies going like, here we are over here. We might put out a collection every few years and then we might not. And then you have like the historian people like video game history people who really care about it you know the video game history foundation guys and girls and then you have uh pirates <laughs> and then <laughs> pirates are basically like yar we'll do what we can because you guys screwed this up so bad and i think there are some pirates who are like i steal everything because i don't want to pay for anything and like i don't know you navigate that ethical ocean as you do but there's other people that are like this is literally my only way to play this and mm-hmm. you haven't given me any other options. So what do you want from me? Yeah, it it's just a, sucks. <laughs> it, it puts the consumers in frustrating circumstances. And, and I, I think it's worth saying, you know, like we're obviously we're we're all in favor of some way of preserving these things. Obviously, I think it is safe to say just by the history of art in general, there will never be a way to 100 percent foolproof save everything. Uh, no matter what, some games from this era will always be lost probably not missed by the vast majority of players to a certain extent there will be some games but a lot of these games are whether they're you know fundamental beloved classics and franchises brand new games and uh, forgotten ones like there there's so much history there that i i think on just a preservation level i hope that if sony doesn't offer this for people to buy i hope they can start working with some of those video game preservation groups that we've seen pop up more and more recently like Mm -hmm. i would love to see them work with a way to digitize those catalogs and have them saved with a video game history museum archive or something like that because it's it is one of those things where if if we forget what's come before like it is it it's true with history but it's true with games too like we we need to have that history to understand where we're going um and i i hope that when this news if it becomes official we've said like this isn't an officially announced thing from sony just yet I hope when it does get announced, hopefully all of us talking about this can let them see there is a care and a a desire to see this generation uh, live on. But yeah, um, until then, I think it's it's fair to say this sucks. It just sucks. It just sucks. It just sucks. (laughs)
This episode of Podcast Beyond is brought to you by NordVPN, a great way to protect yourself online while also improving your overall experience while enjoying cyberspace. Are you tired of streaming shows, movies, or sporting events being unavailable in your region due to draconian restrictions that are based on completely arbitrary geographical boundaries in physical meat space? Well, switch your virtual location to a place where that's no longer an issue. The same goes for shopping. You can get the best possible deal on subscriptions, flights, hotels, and other goods and services like that from websites that like to play favorites with certain territories and currencies. Meanwhile, encrypted traffic protects your data from hackers, viruses, malware, phishing sites, and other harmful hitchhikers of the information superhighway. Though really, it's more of an information autobahn because there is no speed limit with NordVPN. It is the fastest VPN in the world, so there won't be any buffering or lagging, and it'll stop your ISP from throttling your bandwidth. Isn't that nice? One NordVPN account can be used across six devices, which is great. My wife has been using our account to watch all sorts of awful British reality TV shows that aren't available here, like Argument Island or Half Naked Idiots Fall in Love, and everyone's favorite, The Worst People Just Got Married, let's hear them talk about it. Shows that are so bad they're blocked in our part of the world for our own good, but luckily NordVPN allows her to trick the internet into thinking she's in the UK so she and her awful friends can shriek and howl and cackle at the TV while I'm trying to relax. I've been using my VPN too. You know what I've been using it for? None of your business. Yep, that's right. And thanks to NordVPN, my data is safely encrypted, all bundled up in a weighted security blanket of incomprehensibly complex math problems and nobody can tell what it's doing under there. Data, you do your thing, I'll leave you alone. One month of NordVPN coverage costs less than a cup of coffee. Coffee can't protect you from cyber criminals unless you throw it at them or pour it on their computers and you'll probably get in trouble for doing that. So get NordVPN instead. To get the best possible discount off your NordVPN plan, go to nordvpn.com slash pobeyond. That link will also give you four extra months on the two-year plan. There's no risk with Nord's 30-day money-back guarantee. Again, that is nordvpn.com slash pobeyond. And now, back to the show. Hey there, this is Justin Bartha. I made a funny new podcast, King of the Egg Cream. It has the greatest cast in the history of podcasts with actors like Louis Black. I'm torn by my feelings for two women. Bobby Cannavale. You can eat it. Or if someone hits you, you can put it on your cut. Melanie Linsky. I wonder what these marvelous things are that look just like boiled chicken feet. Jason Ritter. I can break things and pick locks and kill people. Michael Stuhlbarg. The whole point is to inspire people that they should make themselves better. Ari Grainer. No, don't whet its appetite. What are you, an idiot? Me, Justin Bartha. That's not just any egg cream, that's a Lemke's special. And all narrated by the hilarious Richard Kind. This is the story of Harry Dalowitz and how he rose from nothing to become New York's King of the Egg Cream. So if you like funny true stories, come listen to King of the Egg Cream, available wherever you get your podcasts. Moving on though, to other uh, <laughs> unexpected Sony news, uh, at least unexpected to me, uh, you know, both of you, please let me know if, if you saw this one coming, because I, I respect the, the foresight. Uh, late last week, it, it was late last week, right? It wasn't in the last day or two, or was it over the weekend? I don't know how time works. No, it uh, isn't anyway. time anymore. <laughs> yeah. Uh, PlayStation announced in partnership with another company that, excuse me, I am trying to get their name. Uh, RTS. RTS, thank you. An esports vendor, uh, venture from Endeavor uh, have uh, announced that they acquired Evo. Uh, the world's largest fighting game tournament. Uh, so, you know, we've talked a lot about Sony acquisitions on this podcast, especially over the last few weeks when it comes to Xbox acquiring Bethesda and Sony uh, acquiring Insomniac. And where do they go from here? Uh, I would probably have never put money on them acquiring a tournament venture. Um, but I will say it 
I, I looked sort of back at the PlayStation blog history over the last couple of months, and I realized there's actually a pretty active mention of esports and, um, you know, whether it's fighting game tournaments or multiplayer tournaments in general, there there's actually a pretty steady cadence of them promoting those on the PlayStation blog. And so it doesn't feel so completely out of step with where PlayStation is right now. Um, but Mitchell, obviously, I want to throw to you. You know, the fighting game scene much more than I think it's fair to say, Brian, or I do. Um, I I am still very bad at the, at the very fair to say, <laughs> uh, very fair to say. Uh, but I, I wanted to, I genuinely wanted to hear your thoughts on the, the convo the day the news went up or the you know right around that window. But sort of help me understand what like your initial reaction to the you see sort of things going from here. Yeah, I mean, my initial reaction I think is the same as you guys. It was surprising, um, but the more I thought about it and the more kind of you look into the story, uh, the more it makes sense. Um, you know, PlayStation, whether intentional or not, PlayStation has positioned themselves as like the go to console when it comes to fighting games. Um, and I say whether intentional or not, because it, it, it feels like they haven't really worked towards this, but nearly every single Arc System Works fighting game is console exclusive, with the exception of the Switch. Basically, it, they didn't come out on Xbox, but all every Arc System Works fighting game has basically been on PlayStation and not Xbox. Mm-hmm. And that's like with the exception of Dragon Ball Fighters. So uh, Persona 4 Arena, uh, Grand, Grand Blue Fantasy Versus, Blaze Blue Cross Tag Battle, all those games never made it to Xbox. Um, so yeah, P- PlayStation has kind of been this this leader in terms of the console space when it comes to fighting games for a long time. Uh, and then, you know, that's not even to mention the fact that PlayStation or that street fighter five, right. one of the biggest yeah. fighting games right now is console exclusive to PlayStation. Mm-hmm. Um, so it makes sense. And also, you know, you've got the, I, I think it's called PlayStation compete. They have like this, this separate arm of PlayStation that focuses on uh, esports. They do a lot of uh, fighting game tournaments. I know Every time I, I sign into PlayStation, I get notifications talking about some sort of Mortal Kombat tournament that's going on. <laughs> so, yeah, it, it's not it's not something that's completely out of left field. And I think it makes sense for PlayStation and it makes even more sense for Evo, considering, uh, you know, the 2020 they had with their CEO, Joey C, who, uh, you know, was removed for allegations of sexual abuse. Um, so. You know, they obviously were looking for for a partner to kind of bring trust in their brand back to, you know, its normal level. Um, So, yeah, I think overall, I think it makes sense. Uh, I think the important thing to talk about is what this means for other fighting games at Evo that aren't part of the PlayStation family, which I (laughs) think uh, Mark Mann who is who runs business dev at uh, Evo has already put out a tweet, uh, you know, Laying to, re- laying to rest those kinds of concerns, saying that, you know, Evo is still an open platform. We still will, wel- will welcome other fighting games into into the tournament. Um, and I think the proof of that is them offering Tekken 7 as a PC, like PC preferred platform on their uh, their online tournament that they have for that they have planned for 2021. Gotcha. So, yeah, it's a. Yeah. Uh- we we also had reached out uh, and got a statement from Nintendo because obviously Smash uh, and and the fighting scene there. Um, we the, their statement was quote Nintendo has enjoyed engaging with fans at past Evo tournaments and wish the show organizers the best with their new venture. We will continue to assess Evo and other opportunities 
as we plan for future online and offline Super Smash Brothers tournament activity. And so at the very least, it seems like PlayStation is at least at this moment is not forbidding anything from being at Evo. Obviously, yeah. they'll probably be more inclined to have the PlayStation exclusives probably take front and center. But um, as you said, like them having that PC presence with Tekken, um, the, I, this Nintendo statement and statements from Evo that they're not closing the door on Smash, like it, it doesn't seem to really be negatively impacting Evo as far as we can tell just yet. Right. Yeah, and I think that's that's the important thing uh, right now. My gut reaction is that this is a good thing. Um, I think it puts more money into into the event, um, you know, better production values. I, I I'm not positive on this, but I think Endeavor, the the group that, you know, ha- has the esports arm RTS that is going in with uh, Sony on this venture. I believe they do stuff with the UFC. So, like, I'm pretty sure they have a good handle on on event, uh, you know, event handling. Yeah. Um, And yeah, it just it, it brings more eyes to i think the fighting game scene which is always a good thing where this could be bad is if in the future you know if we see microsoft start putting out some more games like killer instinct that are big fighting games that are exclusive to their platform and then we don't see those games have a presence at evo uh that's gonna be a huge bummer Um, yeah i hadn't thought of that at all that's a really good point yeah and um no go ahead keep, keep going keep going no, I was just going to say, yeah. And then, you know, there's obviously the Smash Brothers thing where, you know, what 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 incentive does Sony really have to to have Smash Brothers at Evo? Um, yeah. I guess you can say to boost up the numbers, but, you know, they are shining this really bright uh, spotlight on a uh, competitor's fighting game. So, you yeah, know, I mean, to, to be fair, what like in the past few years, what you know, what did Nintendo internally think they were getting out of evo because it didn't really seem like they were embracing that community with sort of like a fervent passion or anything like that like it it seems like the smash community just kind of existed you know almost in in spite of the of the fact (laughs) that nintendo was there like Mm -hmm. yeah Yeah. there's there there's definitely a a interesting relationship there between nintendo and, and and the smash community and uh excuse me i I, I definitely agree with you, Mitchell. I feel like it is probably a at the end, like a net positive for Evo uh, and will definitely like bring more attention, probably bring more money. You said probably have to cross that bridge when we get to it of whether an Xbox exclusive uh, fighting game, if if one comes down the line, could appear here. Um, but at least them having PC games, maybe they would just favor the the Windows version of of those games. But um, it, it's one that I think excited me the more I think about it. Like, obviously, full disclosure, I don't think it'll be a shock to anyone on, uh, who listens. I, I am not that well versed in fighting games, but I one have a soft spot for PlayStation All-Stars Battle Royale. Yes. And, and desperately, desperately want this to mean that a PlayStation All-Stars Battle Royale 2 is happening. Because why would you buy all of this, Sony, if you didn't want to make another fighting game? Make it happen, Ooh, please. Yes. Please. please. I hadn't thought and, of that either. And here's the thing: there's a lot of people that don't like PlayStation All-Stars, but it doesn't have to be exactly the same thing. No, nope. it can yeah. be. It can be completely different. The Superbot isn't even a developer anymore. So like the idea that, you know, people don't want PlayStation All-Stars Battle Royale 2 because the first one wasn't their thing doesn't really gel with me. Like they the idea of a PlayStation mascot fighter that brings characters from God of War with Uncharted with, you know, 
I'm going to say Crash Bandicoot. I mean, Mitchell, Mitchell, I I think you've said enough. I think that what the people need to do is they need to (laughs) turn on their PS3, head on into the store. (laughs) Oh, shit. (laughs) In three months, they can't. But I will say, buy it quickly because of the trophies. They just stack. If you you unlock them on PS3, you unlock them on Vita. It's really great. Uh, Anyway, PlayStation All-Stars Battle Royale was really fun. I like that you guys thought about this as like a giant, highly expensive backdoor to get a sequel. Sequel Yes! That's all I I'm into it. I'm into it. it. It's more of a like a happy coincidence if they want to go there. Because the th- uh, the thing for Battle Royale, I think, is that the the problem with that game, and I had a lot of fun with it, but the problem with that game was that it was both a Smash clone, but also trying really hard not to be a Smash clone. Mm-hmm. And so that sort of dissonance created some gameplay mechanics that weren't as fun as I think it could have been if it had just gone all out as a Smash but- clone. Look at um, their look at their roster now. Like, oh yeah, uh, you know, yeah. of first party characters, it makes so much more sense now. Like, I if I feel like back then they were like pulling teeth to try to get like Onion Cat in there. They're, they're like they call it Bioshock. <laughs> like, hey, Big Daddy, you want to be in our game? Like now they, they got had you know Raiden from Metal Gear Rising and <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, and Dante from the rebooted Devil May Cry. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> those oh, iconic PlayStation that. characters. There was a lot of a lot of stretching in that roster, but yeah, right now you could make a roster that pretty much just included like playstation first party you know Dude, maybe bring, a couple bring deacon and his motorcycle bring hell Aloy yeah Boozman, Aloy, whatever you want to call her and then Lyoth and x kratos yeah fighting oh, blades of yeah. chaos kratos angry blades of chaos kratos from mm-hmm. the older games bring, bring the so- serpent bring the big ass serpent from god awards Dude, bring them all in <laughs> I want to fight uh, as Mimir. Let me just have someone. Yeah, hold oh my Mimir's god! <laughs> he just talks his enemies into yeah. death. It's great. Oh man, this um, is awesome! I want the oh, oh at, 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 you know Astrobot. Yeah, Astrobot. Oh yeah, come on. There's some. This is the Ast- time. This is the Astrobot. time. Characters that can be in this game. Mm-hmm. Hear me. Astrobot is basically Kirby because Astrobot can just wear whatever costume from Sony history it wants. It just takes the form of any other fighter it's perfect i'm into it i think mitchell i think you need to turn that not to give you work i think you need to like you you should do like a full a full like feature or video on this and we can pitch in all like this i'll help you with it i like it yeah this this can be super fun like that like here's you know why we need playstation all-stars too and then just like really break down how the roster could work we did it lucy's gone i'm commissioning it we're yeah we're doing it we're doing it all Um, right (laughs) perfect let's do it uh but no, I it, it I I want that to be a potential. But that aside, it does excite me because PlayStation has sort of stepped away also in recent years from events, uh, not just, you know, stepping out of E3 or anything like that. But PSX has been gone and PSX used to be home to things like the Capcom Cup, like that did happen in conjunction with PSX for at least a couple of years, I think. Mm-hmm. And so just even even a small idea that PlayStation might be inching back toward wanting to do its own sort of eventizing to me is exciting because one, I never got to go to PSX, but it sounds great. But two, something like that, that speaks directly to its fan bases that connects in a way that I don't think PlayStation has been as great as in recent years as it used to be, mm-hmm. uh, is, is a step in a direction that at least for me, maybe I'm assuming or hoping for too much, but it's, it's more events work than we've seen them kind of take over in recent years. And you, so you, you said some really interesting stuff there that I want to, I want to latch onto for a second. Um, this this is like part of a really fascinating sign that a things are starting to go back to normal in the world, the real world. Um, but B, this this news came within a day or two of uh, of Activision Blizzard being like, hey, we're doing significant layoffs and budget cuts on our, you know, uh, live esports front. And so for Sony, who's been, you know, 
I would say recently uh, shy <laughs> in terms of <laughs> coming out into the public eye and having conversations with people in front of crowds and stuff like that. And I'm not talking about during the pandemic. I'm talking about even before that they were, you know, canceling on parties and events and stuff like that. They just stopped. They stopped doing it all. It's fine. I get it. I've been. I know what it's like to kind of drill down in your own brain and be antisocial if you need to. But uh, this came right after news of, you know, one of the, one of the richest companies in the in gaming, Activision Blizzard, being like, hey, we're going to do some layoffs over here. We don't really see a future in this as much. Um, the pandemic hit us hard. And Sony going like, hey, not only are things going to go back to normal again eventually, but we're investing in gamers getting into a stadium to watch or our big hall to to watch people beat the hell out of each other in fighting games. And that's awesome. I love that. I love to hear that. Yeah, it's 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 a hopefully good sign all around. Obviously, we'll keep an eye on it as uh, more Evo, uh, you know, plans are announced uh, forthcoming. But it's it is an unexpected acquisition. But I think it could mean a lot of exciting stuff for the PlayStation community to come. And selfishly, uh, I just hope it means that IGN will send me to Evo because I went in 2019 on my own dime and had a <laughs> blast of a time. And uh, I really want to go back. So <laughs> Mitchell, in in 2009, I I got I got hired uh, to work in the games industry and I I'm, I moved to Cal or came out to California for like a week or two to meet everybody from New Jersey for the first time. And while I was here, I was staying at, at a hotel in Fisherman's Wharf in San Francisco, which was not great, but <laughs> I'll keep going. Um, and I saw all these people, like tons of people with like Street Fighter t-shirts. And I was like, what is going on here? And I found out um, Capcom was holding an event at the Fort Mason Pavilion, which is like basically this huge, like empty sort of it's it, it looks like an airplane hangar facing uh, the San Francisco Bay. Uh, and they were doing a fighting game tournament there for Street Fighter. And I was like, can I go to this? And so I called my new boss and I was like, <laughs> can you get me in this? And he called Capcom PR and I went and I wasn't covering it or anything. And there was this massive line. It was my first time being at anything like that in my life. Like I'd been to like wrestling events and stuff growing up, but I didn't understand like why would so many people get in the same room to watch like two people play a video game? And I got in there and it was like, that scene in the wizard where you're just like, Oh, I get it. I get it. Like there's this palpable energy here. This is unlike anything I've ever experienced playing video games or watching video games on YouTube or anything like that. Being in this room with hundreds of people screaming as people were beating the hell out of each other in street fighter was one of the coolest experiences ever. And immediately I was like, there's something magical here and I will never, ever, ever uh, downplay this. Cause yeah. this is awesome. And just really quick, there's nothing like being in the, the audience of a really, really hype uh, fighting game match and feeling that energy of the crowd is like something crazy happens. You know, I, I you watched it earlier. If you're watching the video of this, I did a video on uh, moment 37 uh, with uh, Justin Wong and Daigo and just imagine you're there in that crowd <laughs> while, when they're going crazy, when Daigo hits every single parry of Chun-Li super, it's just such a, a wild experience and I can't recommend it enough to people. Yeah, mm -hmm. that, that video turned out really well. You did an awesome job. That oh, one. thank you. Everyone should absolutely go check it out if they haven't. Um, moving on from that, though, uh, the PlayStation news hasn't stopped because there's been quite a lot. But very quickly, I just want to go through things because, of course, the news always happens when we're not around. But uh, late last week, uh, we got a quick look at and details on the 
PS5 next gen VR. They're not saying PSVR 2, I guess, because calling a thing PSVR 2 sounds sort of silly. But uh, anyway, the new PSVR 2 controllers were revealed and they're <laughs> not move controllers. They are not those silly wands with the clown noses on them. They look like some other VR controllers that I've held. They look um, like underwears. <laughs> God, now I'm not. Uh, now. I can't, no, they can't look like thongs. Theme. I'm sorry. It looks like a guy stealing thongs. Yeah. Um, they're hand only, thongs, yeah, I they're think is safe thongs. to say. Hongs um, is the word we're using. Hongs, yes. Ah, uh, God. Um, so anyway, the, the new PSVR Hongs, uh, we got a little <laughs> detail. Uh, they will be including adaptive triggers and haptic feedback like the uh, DualSense controller as well. Uh, they will also have finger touch detection, which is that the controllers can detect your fingers without pressing uh, in the areas where you place your thumb, index, or middle finger. Uh, this enables you to make more natural gestures with your hands during gameplay. Uh, tracking for the controllers is tracked by the new VR headset through a tracking ring across the bottom of the controller as opposed to the lights on the move controllers being tracked by the camera. Uh, and then, you know, familiar uh, button layout, as you'd expect from the DualSense, DualShock, all those buttons will be there. Um, there's there's not a ton, of obviously, practical application of these things. Uh, but noticeably in this uh, blog post that revealed on the PlayStation blog, uh, Sony wrote prototypes of our new VR controller will be in the hands of the development community soon. And we can't wait to see what ideas they come up with and how the controller helps bring their imagination to life. So one, I will say, and Brian, I want to get your, your thoughts first. Um, I was surprised that we got a look at the controller so soon. And then I read that and was like, oh, this thing is still probably a bit out. <laughs> Yeah, I, I think the that's sort of a two prong thing. I think one, they their messaging has been odd because they've just been sort of like dropping news on the PlayStation blog. But, you know, it's been a year. Uh, but I, I think that they uh, they did this because this is going to be on the desks of a bunch of developers soon. And it's a lot easier to get this news out like, you know, professionally and in house than it is to have somebody leak another distorted potato phone camera shot of some <laughs> weird thing sitting at a desk and everyone's like what's what's that uh especially after they saw with ps5 last year we spent so long being like what does this look like and then there were like leaked photos the dev kits and stuff like that but we never saw the controller and that's why i think this is kind of interesting because if you look at um the way they revealed the ps5 it was like in this huge video like the actual co construct of the ps5 itself the form factor um Whereas the controller, they just put up one day on the blog. So I wonder if they'll do the same thing here where they go, here's a controller, but then we'll get like a full on video presentation. Because that last thing was like super hype. It was one of the most like uh, kind of coolest moments of the year gaming wise. There were millions of people watching that video in unison being like, what does this system look like? Um, obviously, it's a little different with a with a VR helmet because you're when you're using it, you can't see it. <laughs> Like that's the that's the weird catch twenty two of it, but um, I, I think what's interesting about this that gets me really excited is the sort of the practical usage of the dual sense technology in a form factor that I'm not used to. It makes me want to take these controllers for a spin in my regular PS five games, even without the helmet. Like I don't know if that's something they can patch in, but being able to play a game where like a driving game where the outsides of the controllers are vibrating and not just the controller you're holding. I feel like that could add sort of like a, a 
I almost said sensual. (laughs) You know, a A sensual sensual. racing feel. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, for some people, that's what they're looking for. Let's be real. Um, People do love cars. Uh, (laughs) But no, you're not wrong in terms of I do wonder. That's actually a really good question of what use these uh, just, you know, while playing a PS5, because at the very least, you know, move controllers aren't one to one because of the lack of uh, the exact, you know, DualShock 4 layout. But here theoretically this is just mimicking the dual sense but split apart and with a little bit more uh vr capability so that would actually be really cool if there was a way to to have that happen um but yeah i i'm excited for this to be added like as we've joked a lot about the show i'm i'm just so tired of using technology that was made a decade ago for a completely different purpose that got kind of shoehorned into this vr thing that we're still using to today and developers have done great stuff with it like people have really really taken it and done the best they could with it but I am excited to have something more purpose built for VR for a newer generation um, that also takes some of the the ideas that have made the PS5 so interesting so far right. uh, into account. Um, Mitchell, I, I don't actually know and forgive me your like VR love or lack thereof, but but what did anything about these controllers in particular surprise you? Are you planning on playing more PSVR when this new headset comes out? Where do you uh, sort of rest? I'm with you. I'm kind of just excited that we're not using move controllers anymore. <laughs> um, but yeah, VR, man, I I get I get so excited about VR and then I end up buying the thing and I end up only playing it maybe like, I don't know, four or five hours worth. And then just kind of put it in a in a drawer and only bring it out, you know, once every three months or so. Um, so it's hard for me to get excited about another VR system when I already have PlayStation VR and I already have an Oculus Quest. Um, but I, I think that the the controllers look cool. I'm excited about the uh, the addition of haptic feedback, um, especially considering how cool it is on the PlayStation Five DualSense. Um, so yeah, I think this is a really promising start for for PlayStation on a, or for virtual reality on a console in a big way. Uh, we just got to see the games. The games are the important part. Yeah. And my hope is that, uh, you know, given how great Astro's Playroom was for the PS5 when it launched and how Astrobot Rescue Mission is sort of like the gold standard for PSVR exclusives, hopefully there is a really cool Astro's game to show off why PSVR 2 is going to be so cool. That feels like a very obvious solution to kind of get people in the door mm-hmm. uh, and continue this trend. But yeah, my, my hope is that uh, I think there have been some really, really special games on PSVR. It is definitely sort of a like it comes in waves and there are great games for a month or two. And then there's a drought for six or seven months. And we'll get another couple of great games. My hope is that we can maybe see a more steady supply. V- PSVR will obviously always be sort of secondary to the main PS5 games that are going to come out, but whether it's internal stuff like London Studio and Team Asobi, we've seen really, really great VR work uh, internally and then externally with stuff like Beat Saber and Tetris Effect and all that sort of stuff. So my hope is that we can have like a, a pretty healthy PSVR life cycle during the PS5 all throughout it, sort of like mm-hmm. living side by side. It would be nice. Yeah, I mean, um, to like to do a sort of like quick report card on PSVR that is a system that the day I bought it, uh, I had to go on GameStop and buy used move controllers that showed up in like garbage bags <laughs> like that. That really like deflated the enthusiasm I had for what should be a revolutionary step for PlayStation into this brand new world. Like I, I maintain that I had some like significantly close to the Super Mario 64 
for the first time style moments when I first played my PSVR. I, I, I would say I'm somewhere between where you are, Mitchell, and someone who's like really into it in that, like, I definitely have a passion for it, but I also let it fall by the wayside pretty frequently because it's it's kind of cumbersome, you know, mm-hmm. and I think Oculus like streamlined that a little bit. But PSVR launched with, you know, ancient controllers. Uh, it didn't it, it needed a weird dongle to do HDR pass through at launch in the launch model, which then got revised. Uh, if you want to play it on PS5, you have to get piece, pieces of things in the mail. Like that's all that. Sh- that's just it's all not that's nonsense. That's a bunch of nonsense around the future, like to have a futuristic thing that has old controllers and garbage bags and a weird HDR pass through and then stuff in the mail to play it on. P- like, it's just bad. So let's just it put just all that sucks. away. It just sucks. <laughs> it just sucks. <laughs> just, um, <laughs> so yeah put Podcast all that away beyond. it just sucks it just sucks that's our review this week yep um put Can't all that aside <laughs> <laughs> put all that aside and give us this brand new system which you know they they mentioned before is just one cable because i'm even, i don't even want to get into six cables oh, coming off the yep. don't even want to talk about that yeah. so, I'll, so I'll, I'll just yell again <laughs> uh, just, it just one sucks. cable it just sucks just one cable and new controllers and it, it just it just works with your ps5 i'm super into that i think that that's awesome um i think it's awesome that a, a company of this magnitude is investing in vr in the same way i think it's awesome that they're investing in the fighting game community like this is what you want to see i'd be worried if this was like you know google bought evo and google's got a new vr thing because i think the shelf life on most google products isn't very long there's a website called like you know killedbygoogle.com or something that lists you know their endless obituaries of in-house products and so this is cool i love this i'm into it these controllers are awesome please no more news drops on the playstation blog make videos get us excited again (laughs) Can't wait for the blog post probably tomorrow. Um, (laughs) Moving on from that, I did want to mention we uh, again, uh, it posted in between episodes, but we obviously want to let you know when you can get free games and uh, PlayStation announced the continuation. Speaking of PSVR of its play at home initiative, uh, of course, they've been offering Ratchet and Clank uh, up until March 31st. So you have pretty much until the middle of next week to be able to claim that you don't need PlayStation Plus for this program. You literally just need to have a PlayStation account uh, and can download stuff from the store. Uh, so Ratchet and Clank was available then. But starting this week on March 25th, you can also get uh res infinite abzu the witness enter the gungeon subnautica and then psvr moss astrobot rescue mission paper beast and thumper and then horizon zero dawn the complete edition which comes with the frozen wilds dlc will be available starting april 19th um, Tornado, to I, know. I, yeah i was gonna say yes. real quick i swear i shouted out res infinite on this show like a week ago and like you two did day, and two yeah. days later they're like it's free yep they awesome. heard you. And, <laughs> and really important to note, even though Thumper is listed in that list of VR games, it is also fully playable without yeah. VR and Ooh. highly, highly recommend playing yes. Thumper, especially if, if you like rhythm games. Probably a little less uh, uh, horrifying by playing on a 2D screen versus <laughs> VR. Uh, yeah, Mitchell, depending- I, th- I, I thought you didn't like horror games. Oh, uh, well... <laughs> Sometimes I push through the horror just to get to the good stuff. Okay, and there's a lot of good stuff in Thumper. <laughs> Thumper is like a very like I love Thumper. I love horror stuff, but Thumper is like a it's a visceral rhythm game. Yeah. Like it is it's yeah. intense. 
when you get hit in that game and your skin tears off, like, <laughs> it just sucks. It, it's a, <laughs> uh, so yeah, especially if uh, if you think you may like it but don't want to have a panic attack, uh, Thumper outside of VR is still a very worthwhile experience, and I enjoyed Definitely. that. Even though in VR it was a, it was a little much for me at times, but it's still very good. Uh, Paper Beast is one I believe it came out earlier this year on PSVR that I haven't gotten to play, but I've heard very good things about. Uh, as we were saying earlier, Astrobot Rescue Mission. If you have PSVR and you haven't played it, you should have played it. So this is the best uh, time to go get it when it's free. Uh, but it's a fantastic game. Uh, Moss is another really great uh, VR specific uh, sort of action uh, platformer e-game. Uh, it's it's a really, really great, uh, very sort of like peaceful and tranquil one where you play as a little mouse named Moss. And it's, one, it's legit, one of my fun. favorite VR games ever made. It's really, really fun. You you don't like you control Moss, but you basically it's imagine like you're looking down into a small forest where action is happening. It's not like one of those first person or third person VR games uh, where you're that close in. Like you're looking down into what appear to be dioramas and you're a little funny mouse with a sword. It's awesome. Yeah, it's it's a very cute and a very fun one. And in addition to uh, on the non VR side, the Res Infinite has it. Yeah, it has a VR mode as well, but you can play that. Uh, outside of VR too. Uh, there's Subnautica, which I haven't played, but I've heard only great things about. Um, I don't know if either of you have played it before, but I've heard really great stuff about that. Uh, the Witness is a, we've definitely talked about it on the show before. Uh, if you love puzzle games, play The Witness. Uh, fantastic. Uh, Enter the Gungeon, a really cool looking indie game that I've missed that I'm very uh, excited to finally jump into. And uh, Abzu is from the team that made uh, The Pathless, which came out uh, at the launch of the PS5, which I really, really loved. And Abzu missed from them. Uh, but it looks really beautiful. It's it's sort of underwater based. It has a score by Austin Wintory, who did the score for The Pathless uh, and uh, Journey, of course, most famously, but a ton of other great scores. His work is phenomenal. Uh, and Abzu seems like a very beautiful, calm, sort of engrossing uh, experience that I can't wait to jump into myself. And then, of course, if you haven't played Horizon, get ready for Horizon Forbidden West by playing Zero Dawn. <laughs> you're you're in for a great game there, so you can't go wrong. Could you imagine being like 10 years old and you have one video game system and it's a PlayStation and then you just wake up one day and they're like, here's Horizon Zero Dawn for free. I would have lost it. Like, yeah, it, it was it was I don't know. I, I I there's a lot of that, like sort of kids today stuff that happens when you get old. We are like, oh, they don't know how hard we had it. Man, I am, I'm mostly just jealous of kids today. Like, yeah. that would have been so cool to just. Like one day, you know, your your PS1 just has six free games on it. Like we used to have like demo discs and stuff like that. Like that's the closest we got. This is awesome. It's awesome. Dude. I love that they're doing this. Yeah, it's uh, yeah. it. Sorry, it just go sucks. Ahead. <laughs> <laughs> it I think work we can all agree. <laughs> yeah, these ten free games, it just sucks. Um, <laughs> some of the most defining games of the PS4 and the PSVR. Uh, but no, it's it's a really cool initiative, and I'm really glad to see it uh, continuing, especially at a time where. Uh, talked about it quite a bit on the show where uh it's hard to argue the the value of game pass this is not by any means a replacement to that but it is a nice benefit for those maybe who only own playstation or but they've got like 150 games for 10 bucks this month how did that happen so you know there's a, a pretty solid lineup waiting for you in the weeks to come uh other than that i did also want to mention uh playstation uh did a sort of indie blog spotlight uh, as they've been doing a little bit recently 
uh, where they do sort of a rundown of indie games that are upcoming. Uh, these included this time a uh, cooperative uh, spy, asymmetrical spy game called Operation Tango, uh, Chicory, a colorful tale, which is coming to PS5 and PS4 that uh, we've seen a few times before. Uh, this one, I don't know how to exactly pronounce it, so I apologize if I'm cor- incorrect, but it's either n- Noir or Nor with I think a it's U Nor, in it. like, like Norish. Okay. Okay. That would make more sense. It's a, it's a play with your food game. It looks amazing. Yeah. It's a, it's called nor play with your food, uh, with, uh, just very, very quality looking food that you get to play around with. It, it looks very fun and very interesting. Uh, in addition to that is where the heart leads, uh, which is coming to PS4 and PS5 on July 13th. Uh, a 3d jigsaw puzzle game called puzzling places coming to PSVR, which, uh, I'm actually kind of because I love uh, Jigsaw puzzles. Uh, and of course, the person uh, known as Jigsaw, one of my one of my favorite characters of all time. Uh, have, that's not true. Uh, Heavenly <laughs> Bodies is also coming. Uh, we've seen this one before, but it's a, another cooperative game uh, set in space. Uh, and then last but not least, Disco Elysium. The final cut is coming on March 30th. Uh, this one I'm personally really, really excited for because I think since Disco Elysium came out on PC, all I have heard is just such effusive praise for how incredible and just brilliantly written of a game. I think I have heard this game be called the best written game ever multiple times, for multiple people. Uh, the final cut is essentially a deluctor, uh, deluctors, directors or deluxe edition. Definitely saying all the words correct today, Jonathan, uh, that essentially uh, has a little bit more content, but also has every line in the game voice acted, voice acted a million plus words. Uh, it is not a small amount of text in that game. And so it's very cool to see this sort of uh, more idealized version of what the developers wanted to come out. And it's coming to PlayStation uh, next week. Uh, and I, I really can't wait to jump into that one. Um, but in terms of this lineup, did, did any of them to you that you're excited for? Uh, yeah, I'm I'm super into co-op games. Uh, I do co-op streams with my buddy every Friday and uh, Operation Tango looks right up my alley. So I love I love those asymmetrical co-op games where one person is doing one thing, another person is doing another. And you have to kind of communicate uh, because one person has like, you know, the keys that the other person needs in order to solve a puzzle. So uh, so, yeah, that that looks really awesome. Uh, Disco Elysium, for all the reasons that you already talked about, I started a playthrough of Disco Elysium on my PC, and it's just not the kind of game that I really want to play, like, in my chair, like, you know, uncomfortable for <laughs> hours on end. I like to play it on a couch. Um, and just putting it on the PlayStation makes much more sense to me. You're going to get so, a lot of hate from a lot of people who really love uncomfortable chairs. They're going <laughs> to they're going to come at you. Um, no, I'll I'm, take yeah, it. I'm, Bring I'm, it on. <laughs> I'm totally with you guys. I, I, I think that like uh, Disco Elysium was like big in the game of the year conversations at IGN. Uh, and I did the same thing as as as, as you, Jonathan, where I, I just kind of skipped it and was like, I'll get to this eventually. And so this is really awesome. Um, this game, Nor, which I guess is for Norish or it could be like now or like Devour. I don't know. I'm trying to figure oh. it out. Uh, <laughs> is the, the fact that it's like a physics based food interaction game just looks like extremely stupid in the best way possible. Like, I really, really love how goofy that is just as an elevator pitch for a game. Um, I don't really know exactly what I'm going to be doing moment to moment, but it, it looks like a really fun interactive toy to, to mess with. And so that one stuck out for me a lot. 
Yeah, that one is really interesting because it'll also sort of have like an adaptive uh, soundtrack that will react differently to the way you're messing with the food. And, and that seems like just a really fun, chill experience. I'm totally with you, Brian. It's like I don't I don't know how long the experience will last or like if there will be a campaign of things I'm accomplishing with all the food. But it seems like such a fun like play play box of things that I just kind of want to mess around with and, and see what that experience ends up like. But um, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm glad PlayStation is doing these uh, indie spotlights more and more. I, I can see why they don't immediately go for a like state of play of them, because I know that especially after the first state of play, which was mostly VR focused, people were like, we just want the AAA games in these and it, you need to find a right balance of everything. Um, and and so, you know, fleshing this all out on the on the PlayStation blog makes sense. But I, I'm, I'm glad we're seeing this continue more because, you know, speaking back to the PS3 and the Vita and the early PSP era, indies were such a prominent part of the PlayStation identity. And I, I, I'm glad to see that sort of returning uh, as we go forward into the PS5's life. Uh, anyway. <laughs> yes. Yay, indies. Um, but other than that, the the only thing I'll just briefly mention uh, because we want to move on. Uh, but if you missed it, uh, yet another delay occurred. Uh, Gotham Knights has been delayed to 2022 on all platforms. Uh, it just sucks. <laughs> we need I actually forgot I was even coming out. This <laughs> I, I mean, I they, may, not that I've heard no disrespect to the game. I could have sworn in my brain just always said that's next year. Yeah, like me it, too. That's a good philosophy to approach most of this year's lineup, probably. Yeah, so yeah. Across fair. across movies and shows, games, uh, anything really. Like I, yeah. I, you know, I, I fully expect and sympathize with every company making something right now. To you know, if you need to delay your thing, do what you got to do. Yeah, uh, as a uh, as we've said on the show, there's no back of uh, or no shortage of a backlog of games to play. So I, I certainly won't mind the time to to catch up on that stuff uh anyway before we wrap up briefly just wanted to mention uh anything brian or mitchell that you guys have been or has it been a little busy um well speaking on the sort of preservation thing before i got uh i bought a arcade legends ultimate arcade cabinet and put a bunch of games on it that i haven't played since like birthday parties in the 90s um (laughs) And I haven't I really like going to arcades. That was like a big a big focus when we were doing that show, Fast Travel, the the IGN's travel show. Um I haven't been able to do that either. So I, I put a bunch of like old things like the Simpsons and Ninja Turtles, like the Ninja oh, nice. Turtles arcade game, which I know I'm probably in, you know, I don't know, championing for piracy right now. But again, <laughs> like that game has literally never like the arcade version of that game, you can't just play anywhere these days so especially the simpsons i don't think they ever maybe they yeah. put that they put that on 360 for like a week and then delisted it it just sucks so yeah i've been <laughs> i've been i've been really playing through a bunch of old games and then also still chipping away at yakuza zero which i love it's my comfort food nice uh mitchell uh, what about you i got this really cool mortal kombat uh what? arcade thing so i've been practicing my mortal kombat one combos no nice. <laughs> um on the playstation uh i i downloaded maquette while it was free um and you know tom tom marks has a really good review of it on uh on ign right now that i very largely agree with uh i think conceptually is very cool and when you solve those first few puzzles it's like kind of magic but eventually that magic kind of wears off and it, it also isn't very good at communicating what the rules of its world are. 
So it leads to a couple of frustrating puzzles, but overall it's, it's, it's fine. I, I, I enjoyed my time with it. And it's got, uh, for me, at least I really love the soundtrack. Uh, yeah, is, the soundtrack. It's, prob- great. it's probably, it's, it's biggest legacy for me as I, I listen to it a lot on Spotify now, uh, <laughs> as I'm writing, but, uh, yeah, only for me, the, the only game I'll- over the weekend, I got really into Marvel's Avengers, <laughs> um, uh, maybe against my better judgment a little bit, but, uh, I put at least probably another like five or six hours in because uh, I'd never played the Kate Bishop or Hawkeye DLC. Uh, Hawkeye just came out, of course, but um, Kate Bishop is really, really cool in that game. Uh, she's actually probably my favorite hero because they basically gave her like quick teleportation powers in addition to being awesome at range combat. Uh, and the PS5 version, the next gen came out last week, and it's genuinely night and day uh, digital foundry time comparison on PS4 pro the loads take over a minute to get into the- on ps5 it's less than five seconds and it That's it awesome. makes it makes such a difference and like the, i i still have a lot of problems in terms of like the the grind of the game and the repetitive nature of the missions and everything but had the load times been like this at launch i probably would have suffered through a lot more repetitive missions because it just gets you in so much more quickly um it still has so many of the problems i think it had at launch um pretty much once you've done the story stuff i i don't see a reason to keep grinding for higher levels when the mission's the same. Um, and it bums me out because I do think the combat is genuinely so much fun, like replaying it sort of affirmed for me that they really nailed like the sets for these characters. But when the only villains after six months that I have to fight are Taskmaster and Abomination, when there are 90 years of Marvel to pull from, just feels wild. It's like, right. just put a couple C-listers in there, like once a month, put one of the, the like a bargain bin villain in as a boss or something. And at least it would just feel a little more fresh. But um, it's it's one of those things where, you know, they really offered for that game. I, I love Crystal Dynamics as a developer. I'm, I love the MCU. I love I will look forward to the Wakanda expansion, but I can't imagine I'll be playing like consistently before that shows up. Uh, and of course, it also had that arcane system for transferring your saves which isn't a problem on the xbox which is a bit of a bummer mm-hmm. but um it's a it's a thing that if you haven't played marvel scene basically you need to have both versions of your ps5 uh, or at least have the most updated ps4 version upload your save from the ps4 version of the game cancel out of that then download it from your ps5 you can't just like have a, a save in the cloud you have to do it through the game itself um it's a it's a little arcane a little nonsensical but other than that yeah, I, I just I, I wrote I, a joke on Twitter about that, and, and I was like, "You need a master's degree to to figure this out." And a bunch of people pointed out that, in fact, you don't. Um, <laughs> and I just want to say thanks because I cleared I it up for you. I wasn't sure until uh-huh. I, until you told me. Yes. <laughs> Welcome to um, jokes. No, it, it's it, it's definitely a pain. Like that's a, I, I I always want to jump into this game, man. Like I. I really, I really, really want to love this game. I feel like I missed the bus at the beginning and I feel like now the the bus is empty or something, but like the bus still exists and they're putting, I don't know where I'm going with the bus metaphor anymore. I'm going to just straight up say we lost, we lost, we the, lost control. We lost the bus. But when I, when I, when I read, I see like the, the Black Panther stuff and like Spider-Man still coming. I'm like, why am I not excited for like a brand new, like superhero game starring some of the most iconic superheroes on earth and Hawkeye. Like I should play this, like, yep. it's, but I never know when to jump in. It's one I of those things love where, that in Hawkeye. In there. And Hawkeye. <laughs> um, 
I mean, look, if you from what I've heard, if you want to play as one of the Hawkeyes, play as Kate because she's okay. probably much cooler. Um, but yeah, no, I mean, I'm right there with you, especially as someone I think it's more uh, obsessed with the MCU than you are. Um, oh, yeah, definitely. It, it is, you know, a foundational like entertainment thing for me right now. And so when this game was announced, even with some of the worries about them looking like MCU, but not MCU, we we have the MCU at home. Your mom told you uh, sort of <laughs> versions of the character. I still was hopeful for it because they're a great developer. There's a lot of great material to pull from. And in the end, like, I think the game when it came out reaffirmed that, oh, yeah, this should have been a single player or co-op focused action RPG that isn't a live service game that just gets updates of content that reinforce that main game. Cause there's really great performances. Um, there's, there's some really great like character moments and writing in there. The, the fundamental combat works for these characters and the, it's interesting and fun, but I just don't care about any of the loot. Like it is all meaningless because none of it shows up on your character. You just move through until you get the next higher number. Uh, I have fought the same synthoid adaptoid robot a million times and we'll just fight them a million because it's the only enemy to fight. Uh, and it's there are just fundamental aspects that needed to be shifted. And I, I honestly think this game should have either been delayed a huge point or put into an early access state where they figured out what worked and what didn't and workshopped to where it could be great. Because right now, my biggest worry is that I can see the potential for their great game. I just don't know if they'll have the window to make it. Right. Do you, that, that's. Do you think they, they, it's like a, a, mis, a lack of content issue or is it like the, fundamentally the way this game was scoped from the jump? Because it, to me, it sounds like like you could drop a bunch of more things into it. But if if the loop isn't there where you want it to be and it's not satisfying to repeatedly like interact with every one of the systems in the game or most of them, then what's the point? Right. It, it's it's probably a little of both. I think like the loot thing at the at the core just needs to fundamentally have been changed. But at the very least, I could probably deal with a kind of worthless loot system if there was a new boss, uh, you know, introduced every month or if there was a new mission type introduced every couple months or if, if, if there was just something that felt more, and more content. But at least from like what I've seen jumping back in after a few months of not playing when I left off the game, the daily villain sectors were, you know, fight against Taskmaster on the, the roof again. When I jumped back into the game this weekend, it was fight against Taskmaster on the roof again. And I was like, still? And he it, loves that roof. He really <laughs> loves that roof and all of his clones, that roof. And it was just one of those things. Not not even, you know, like, I guess slight spoilers, but MODOK is in the campaign and there's not even like a new MODOK boss fight that you can kind of jump into at least that i've i've seen or witnessed yet um it, it just feels like there is a missed opportunity there where like i almost would have been willing to probably in time had the missions felt a little bit more unique but i i think at the end of the day it just shouldn't have been a looter grind game like that just it doesn't work for what does work in the game um yeah it's really a the, a case of a game that really should have just gotten in gotten out saved you know, it's DLC for individual campaigns that you would do as, you know, standalone story bits and then just, you know, done away with the, the loot system in general. It should have just been an action yeah. action mm-hmm. adventure game. Yep. If, yeah. if they every character that I've played and I haven't played as Hawkeye yet, but every character I'm like, oh, if they had made a like six hour campaign featuring that hero. And I know that would be a lot more, you know, investment and resources and new characters and game design. There's so much more to it. But like I would rather play 
an individualized story for each of these heroes than the same missions over and over as all of them. It just it doesn't quite deliver on what it could deliver on. And I, I think you can see the game. It could be in there. It's just marred by this other stuff. Um, but um, I'll probably still play it again when the Wakanda DLC comes out <laughs> before we wrap up. Just wanted to read a memory card. Of course, memory card is our weekly segment where you, the viewers and listeners at home, write in with your favorite, weird, wacky, sad, happy, whatever they may be memories of your PlayStation gaming life. We read them on the show. Please write in to beyond at IGN.com with the subject line memory card and we'll uh, read them each week. Thank you to everyone who's been submitting your stories. Please continue to do so. We have a lot of great ones, but I, I love to read these uh, and they mean so much that you're willing to share as you are uh, like Andrew did. Andrew wrote in to be at at, he wrote into beyond at IGN.com uh, with a very personal story, uh, a very tough situation. I want to thank Andrew for writing in and being willing to share this. Uh, I know how tough it can be to sort of write these things in. So thank you, Andrew, for sharing this with us. Andrew wrote in and said, hey, folks, first time, long time. Last week, my mom fell into a coma and things aren't looking good. I have a baby on the way in less than a month, and she was looking forward to being a grandma more than anything. This difficult time has led to a lot of reminiscing on my part, and I unlocked a memory I thought I had lost. Back in the day, I had gotten a copy of Harry Potter and the Chamber of Secrets for PS1, a game I never completed because it gets really hard, so I'm with you here, Andrew. Uh, I had such a hard time getting past one of the downhill auto-scroller sections. My mom was not into video games at the time, but there she sat with me for hours on end, trying to make it to the end of this godforsaken slide. <laughs> Finally, I made it to the end and beat that section. This led to my mom and I jumping up and down and yelling and her telling me that she was so proud that I didn't give up and that I needed to remember this moment anytime I thought I couldn't do something. My mom sat with me every day and would play that stupid game with me, even though she wasn't a fan of video games. Anyone that can, anyone that can, please tell your parents you love them today since I can't. Thank you, Podcast Beyond, for being a glimmer of hope in the darkness I'm going through right now. Y'all are tremendous. And Andrew, I just wanted to say thank you so much for writing in with that and sharing that memory. Uh, and I'm glad you were able to recall that memory and, and be able to think about it in what is obviously a really difficult time uh, for you and your family. Uh, we will obviously keep you, uh, your mom and your entire family in our thoughts. And we're, we're so sorry to hear what you're going through. Andrew, I will... I'll say this without crying, but uh, I, I, I lost my mom right before I became a father and uh, it hurts. It sucks. It just sucks. Uh, no, con <laughs> not to make a joke out of it. It, it hurts constantly. It's terrible, but um, life is like a bad Harry Potter shovelware game. And you got this. Like, I think, I think you're going to be awesome. I think the fact that you're it, this, this in tune with what's happening right now, um, means that you're going to be a, a great, a great dad and you will be able to maintain the legacy of your mom for your kid forever. And that's awesome. Also cook all of her recipes if she has them. Cause that's, that's, you can keep your kitchen alive like that forever with, with the smell of your childhood, unless they're really call. bad, unless she was a bad cook. Then, <laughs> then I don't know. Find a cookbook. <laughs> or order from the takeout places. You and her always grabbed food from when you were young. exactly. Um, but yeah, Andrew, thank you again for writing in with that story. And we'll, we will absolutely keep you and your family in our thoughts. Uh, of course, if you want to share a memory card story, whatever you would like to share, please write in to beyond at IGN.com with the subject line memory card, and we'll share them on the show. Uh, but that's going to wrap us up for this week's episode of podcast beyond uh mitchell and brian thank you so much for joining me this week uh mitchell uh, i know you had mentioned the the video earlier in the show but just want to shout it out again uh where can people find uh your awesome uh insight into that phenomenal moment in fighting game history 
Uh, well, we just started up a new channel called IGN Games. Uh, so that was, I think, the first video that we really uploaded to that channel. Uh, so check it out. It's uh, the esports moment that changed fighting game history. Um, it's a video I'm really proud of. I got to talk with a bunch of really cool fighting game pros, Justin Wong, Eli Joe, James Chen. And uh, yeah, it's just a, a, a small snapshot of what is undoubtedly like one of the most famous fighting game moments in history and if you haven't heard of it you should check it out it's it's uh fascinating to watch mitchell you are you are i don't get to say this you're immensely good at what you do like you're oh, it's very you're true. really really awesome I, I love seeing you make stuff like this because it's it's just like the kind of stories that i think only someone like you can tell and you specifically uh doing a great job with it Oh, thanks, Brian. As someone who is also very good at what you do, I really appreciate that. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. Um, and as someone who is just here, I think you both do tremendous. <laughs> yeah, I guess uh, we should you're address amazing, the Jonathan. The Jonathan's that. really good. Yes. <laughs> no, no, then you're awesome. No, I, I, I was just, I was totally kidding. Um, <laughs> Brian, anything else uh, you want to shout out that you've been working on? or can I've been, st- I tried to th- this new initiative where like I compliment one of my friends while ignoring the other one. Um, Perfect. It's, good one. Yeah. it's in like a piloting sort of beta phase right now. Like so it. we're testing it out. Um, feedback seems okay so far. So we're going to, I think good. we're going to keep good. going with it. I um, love it. Yeah. <laughs> uh, no, uh, Max Scoville's on paternity leave, so I took over some of his duties today. Once I wrapped the like the writing and the hosting stuff for the South by Southwest Awards, which were over the weekend. Um, so I'm doing the uh, I wrote and hosted the biggest games of the month, and uh, which is all the big games coming to all the systems next month, and then uh, the show reviews and review, which is a look back on all of the reviews we did at IGN uh, on the video game front over the last 30 days or, or for all of March. So uh, look out for both of those soon because they're really fun. I said that April is the Tuesdays of months, which I believe I that tracks that that, yeah. that works. Yeah, it's just it's like a whole it's just a Tuesday ass month. You know, yeah. what can you do with it? Really <laughs> uh, work through it until we get to the big releases in May. But no, there's mm-hmm. all the end of the month. And I'm looking forward to that. Uh, of course, you can find us all on Twitter. I am at JM Dornbush. Brian is at Agent Bizzle and Mitchell is at Jurassic Rabbit. Uh, of course, thank you again to both of you for being with me on this episode. And thank you, as always, to Red, our producer, for making the show happen. And thank you to everyone out there watching and listening Podcast Beyond. Of course, we are. As as Mitchell said, you can find his video on IGN Games. You can also find Beyond on IGN Games, as that's the new YouTube host of Beyond. But normally, the show is live on IGN.com, YouTube.com slash IGN Games, and your favorite podcast services around the world every Wednesday at 3 p.m. Pacific. Uh, but in the meantime, until next week, we hope you're safe. We hope you're well. And as always... Beyond. 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 It just sucks. (laughs) Hey there, it's Rachel Ballinger, and I am extremely excited to invite you to Rachel Uncensored. It's my podcast where I sit down and get real with my friends and celebrity guests, where we talk about all sorts of topics. And sometimes we might be under the influence when we do so. We cover things from personal stories to hot button issues. And it's the only place on the internet you can find an uncensored version of me. It's a side of me that you might not have seen before because it's not the most family or brand friendly. But don't worry, I'm still sort of slightly a decent human being. If you're intrigued, then make sure you check it out. New episodes drop every Wednesday. You can find it on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Trust me, you won't want to miss out on the fun and candid conversations we have here on Rachel Uncensored.